Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to episode 137 of Wait, What? A comics and pop culture peace link. Graham McMillan and I are here to give you just a touch over two hours of sexy, sexy comic book nerd talk, with topics including the pending Marvel re-release of Miracle Man, some of the current tie-ins to DC's Forever Evil event, Avengers Assemble number 20, Batman and Two-Face number 24, Detonator X, rules and bylaws in classic DC comics, and, most importantly, two subjects for the Wait What book club today, Battling Boy by Paul Pope and Zombo, You Smell of Crime and I'm the Deodorant by Al Ewing and Henry Flint. Full but apologetically brief show notes are available for this episode at SavageCritic.com and we welcome your comments and questions at WaitWhatPodcast at gmail.com. As always, we thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan! Oh my god, technology is working. <laughs> now that I've said that, things are going to go horribly wrong. Jeff, I have to just say right now, I have just been reading the internets, as I tend to do while I'm waiting for us to talk, and I've just seen that Erotic Vampire Bank House is the number 13 ranked book in Amazon's heist rankings for Kindle. Congratulations! Why, thank you! Thank you! I have to admit, um, me and the staff of Airport Books, by which I mean basically my wife, are very pleased about this uh, turn of events. Um, Your picture sort of froze for a minute. You have to close the blind, sir. Before we the, the blinds are the blinds are closed. Are they? Oh my God! No, it is the sun apocalypse. Like it this really is totally is gonna work. Let's see. Can I, can I do something like this? You know, actually. Hang on. What if I? Contrast. What if I actually try and minimize for once? And we'll see if that does. Oh happen. gosh. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens. Can you okay. hear me? The the thing is, yeah, is I that can, I yeah. can still hear you. Yeah. Okay. Because my only worry now, about now this... I can't hear you. Oh my god. See, it's because I said technology was working. What yeah. the fuck, technology? Yeah. See, dude, you've gotta. We've gotta. Unfortunately, have that little face to face, or else things go weird. Okay. Hang on. Hang on, everyone. This is Help great. Every- Graham's taking off his right. shirt, ladies and gentlemen. So. It's it's getting sexy. Hang on. Oh, are you going over moving. to the couch? That worked pretty well yeah. last time. Yeah. yeah so let's try that, that this time. See if that works. However, I've also got to get the things that I've been reading. It's not just as simple as me moving, Jeff. I've got to get my props. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. I actually spent a few minutes like gathering all my stuff up uh, to be able to talk to us now. So the great part is the sound seems constant. Hello? So, hey! Hey! So, um, so yes, as I was saying, thank you, Graham McMillan. I'm very excited. Erotic Vampire Bank Heist is indeed the number 13 uh, best-selling heist book. I'm actually two slots ahead of uh, Richard Stark's Plunder Squad, which is... I know, which is amazing, right? It is stunning. It is actually stunning for me, and I want to thank... Everybody who's listened to this podcast, who's taken a moment to uh, buy a copy, or in the case of um, Dan Turner, he actually gifted a copy since he wanted to support I saw that. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, like really. Applause, which you probably can't hear because I'm not doing close enough. I don't even know where the microphone is anymore. (laughs) We can hear it. I don't know if you can hear that. Please stop. Please. My ears are now (laughs) bleeding. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So I think it's good that we get the hype out of the way early for people who uh, did not, uh, who missed it last time because I don't know. They were, they, they, as they sometimes do, just fell into a swoon about an hour and a half into our podcast. Um, I start off with the hype. Yes. Through my imprint, Airport Books, I am publishing E.J. Eller's Erotic Vampire Bank Heist, a crazy, over-the-top uh, 70s novel that has uh, vampires and bank heists and lots of sex 
and lots of action and is pretty awesome, I have to say. So uh, it's it's definitely something that's been fun seeing the reaction out in the world and uh, generous support from a lot of people. If you want to be one of those people who generously support me and or think that what the world needs is more books with vampire fights and over-the-hill motorcycle stuntmen and twin brothers who are con men and uh, a really I, if I have to say uh, as, as publisher I really like the the Parker analog that is created in the book because Ellers was such a big fan of um, Richard Stark's novels so the fact that erotic vampire bank heist is like within spitting distance of one of his books kind of awesome so it, it is Kind of spectacular. Good job, everyone involved. Indeed. In the States, through to yourself for bringing this to the real world, through to everyone who's bought it. Well, yes. Good indeed. job, everyone. Yes, yes. Thank you, thank you. Now, starting on those Amazon reviews so that I can uh, uh, get the book in front of people who don't know me and or wouldn't trust me. So, uh, and yourself, Graham, how are you? Well, I know you, and I wouldn't trust you. So let's just get that out. <laughs> oh, thanks for right clarifying. Uh, that's like, whew. all right. Well, yes, I apparently overspoke. Uh, how am I? I'm fine. It's a, a beautiful day in Portland, as yeah. we've just discovered, because it completely screwed up the recording. Yeah, it did. Uh, yeah, uh, it's. I'm fine. I'm very glad it's Thursday as we record, because it means the weekend is just around the corner, and I can't wait it's been another busy week you know another busy week yeah 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 for a while there you kind of had like things were sort of chilling if i if i dare use the yeah term. and and then yeah i am no longer chillaxing i am uh whatever the opposite is poleaxing i always hoped it was poleaxing okay i'm poleaxing sure that's what i'm doing <laughs> so generous yeah, no, to go along with it. it it's it's been a perfectly fine week uh my week was greatly and this is going to be a segue but I, I'm actually completely genuine with this. My week and my day were greatly, greatly uh, improved by the discovery of the Miracle Man solicitation that lists Alan Moore as the original writer. <laughs> well, have you seen this? No, no, I oh, haven't seen it. Okay, no, no, so no. Mar- Marvel's um, solicits for Miracle Man issue one and two are out. Right. Um, and first of all, Marvel are apparently. D- trying to tank this series with the first issue. Good job, Marvel. Secondly, because Alan Moore won't let his name be used to promote the series, right. Alan Moore is actually credited as the original writer in the credits. It actually goes written by the original writer. <laughs> it's spectacular! That's great. Yeah, it's a yeah. toughie, man. I've got to say, that's that's kind of a tough... Hopefully, Hopefully he'll be okay with that. I mean, I hope they were smart enough to clear that terminology with him you know what I mean because it's gotta well, I mean, be that's just it. the funny thing is the original writer in what world like he's the original writer of those stories but he's not the original writer of Marvel Man not even close like you know what I mean yeah. I, mm-hmm. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy I'd Honestly, I'm surprised they left the credit in. I'm surprised they didn't just take the writing credit out altogether. Well, but then it looks weird. You know what I mean? I think it this lo- way they're able Because it doesn't to- look weird when it says written by the original The writer. original writer. No, agreed. Agreed. It's a, it's a toughy thing to market. And it sort of makes sense because it's called Miracle Man, right? So, I mean... Yes, it is. We could argue that he was the original writer of Miracle, Miracle Man. Miracle Man? That's true. He yeah. was the original... Uh, just... <laughs> so here, here's why Marvel are trying to tank it. It launches with a 64-page first issue for $6, right? Of which, 64 pages, $6. Oh, no. Oh, no. 
how much material do you think from Alan Moore's run and Miracle Man is reprinted in that first issue? Oh, please. Don't tell just, me that just, it's just like... Guess. Just just guess. 24 pages? pages? Jeff, it's eight. <gasps> it's eight pages of Alan Moore's Miracle Man just in the first issue. Eight. It's the story from Warrior issue one, and that's it. The rest of it is apparently backup material and reprints of their Mick Anglo Marvel Man primer from like three years ago. That's fucking insane, right? For so for six dollars, people who are like this Miracle Man, I've heard a lot about it. How bad could it be? Are going to be like, wow, I paid six dollars for eight fucking pages. So they're only going to run like the first little issue, prologue issue or whatever. Yep. Or issue two apparently has material from Warriors issue one through five, mm-hmm. which is insane to me. That they've got eight pages, and then like if you include the next four issues, that's like. 30 odd pages of story like it, it's super weird I understand all I can think is the solicitation has to be wrong wow because otherwise otherwise that isn't a, really a way to tank the series mm-hmm. I, I refuse to believe people are going to pick up the first issue and be like well it's only 8 pages this time for 6 dollars but I'm going to stick around and see what it's like next issue it seems nuts yeah yeah that's uh well i imagine they're going to make the argument that they needed the you know as as if you couldn't figure out the subtext i mean one of the things oh, it was, no, you know what i mean it's the 64 page first issue jeff no i know i know believe me i'm completely i'm pretty robustly appalled i have to say that is um stunningly bad you know that is in no yeah. way because, yeah, even like even if you're going to be sort of like, oh, yeah, we want to provide people with the Miracle Man slash Marvel Man context, you, you don't need, you maybe need another eight pages. You know what I mean? You do not need 60 yeah, plus pages. If, if that, mm-hmm. if that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's absolutely not. So, so, yeah, issue one includes material originally presented in Warrior issue one and Miracle Man issue one, plus the Marvel Man primer for 64 pages. <sighs> bad. So unless I'm completely insane, the mm-hmm. Marvel Man issue 1 uh, sorry, the Miracle Man issue 1 material is like one page. Like it's one page of additional stuff that was not in Warrior. Hmm. So that's like nine pages of Moore material. And the rest is ads, backup material or stuff from the McAngler reprint book from three years ago. For six dollars. Man. Man, that is that. Like you said, that that is a little on the the. Let's tank this aside. I think what they're thinking is is that it's bulletproof and that therefore they have to maximize their return by buying. But I mean, that's just horrible. I mean, the great thing I mean, is that's, that's that's when you make a bulletproof thing not bulletproof. Right. Exactly. Everyone want this until we give you the most substandard first issue we possibly can. I mean, seriously, other than maybe giving them half of Alan Moore's first story from Warrior. <laughs> there is no way to make this worse. <laughs> yeah, I'm... Uh, oh, boy. I gotta say... I mean, I, that's appalling. That is really bad. You know, I should go back to my first issue of Miracle Man and, you know, because I'm really tempted to, like, sit down and figure out, like, where, where the pages break on that. You know what I mean? Because they kind of have the... So I recall the Miracle Man thing I, opens I, with the little mini, like faux Marvel Man, you know, in his in his context type story, and then it 
does the zoom in on the eyeball and the Nietzsche quote, and then it rolls forward with everything else. That's right? the, okay. The 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 prologue stuff is the stuff that was just created for Miracle Man. Oh, okay, so that, that did not exist. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. that's good to know. Is that more than I thought? That was just a page. Is that more than a page? I I don't know. I always remember the zoom, the full page zoom, but I thought that that comes after two or three pages of. Okay, maybe it is. Okay, so maybe we're looking at twelve. Maybe we're looking at twelve pages of Alan Moore in a sixty-four page, six-dollar comic that people are buying for Alan Moore. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's just, it's horrendous. It's wow. like crazy. The first uh, Warrior episode, I want to say, ends with Marvel Man flying up into the air and going, "I'm Marvel Man and I'm back." Yes, I think that. But is I could correct. be wrong. I'm, that might actually be the second Warrior episode. It's been a long time. No, they got to bring him back on, I think, page one. And I think that's it. And then I think the second one immediately sets up the, like, let's get him in an elevator and stab him or something like that, you know? So, yeah, uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I I just, what do you think about Miracle Man being back, Jeff, and everything? So that was the big news from New York Comic Con that Marvel didn't announce ahead of time or didn't give people ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty. That's a pretty big piece of news to not leak, and I have to give them credit. I mean, considering this was a news story that we were expecting to hear, like, what, five, six years ago at San Diego Comic-Con, I'm I'm impressed they got it out and that they still... Yeah, here's the thing. To be fair to Marvel, I also thought it was five years. It's not. It's four years since they announced it. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Because I was really? convinced it was, like, 2008, and it's not. It's 2009. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I totally had. was sure that it was was like the year it was longer yeah 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 yeah. huh well uh so i kind of you know at the time i was sort of like you know a it it was it was a mixture of feelings a i'm glad that's going to be out for people b man i really missed the boat on selling off my issues on ebay c oh my god not necessarily jeff i mean yeah, you're, you're, you have the original. You have the original issues, and these are going to be the Phantom Menace version of Miracle Man. So, yeah, no kidding. Oh my God, like uh, recolored and relettered. It seems I can. It's really weird to me. Recolored and relettered. I can both see why they want to do it, mm-hmm. especially because when Eclipse takes over, like the lettering in particular goes to shit for a couple of issues. Yeah. Um, but it also, I don't know. There's something about that that made me go. Oh, I'm kind of not as interested anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, interesting. I'm imagining it... horribly over-rendered color or one thing. Well, yeah. I mean, that's... You know I mean? I'm imagining, mm-hmm. like, terrible, like, you know, oh, look at all the computer effects we could do this time. <laughs> this time, he actually sparkles, because we've got a Photoshop tool that could do that. <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, Jesus Christ, no. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not looking forward to that at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um... Yeah, so I, I had I had a few moments of like, oh, and, and again, like I think I mentioned, sort of this idea of like, because I have all of the Miracle Man issues, you know, that were published here in the U.S., uh, absolutely none of the Brit stuff, but I've got the Eclipse title thing is between my trades, it's complete. I had the last game yeah. and issues and everything. So I kind of had this weird like, oh shit, I'm not going to be able to the, get the conclusion since I'm not supporting Marvel and then I was kind of like I don't I was kind of like I'm not sure I really care frankly with all due respect to everyone involved it's just it's a situation where um 
as much as I love some of that stuff, it'll be interesting to... I have the suspicion that it may not have aged especially well. Um, and also, yeah. as someone who has a notoriously um, low Neil Gaiman threshold, I thought Gaiman stuff ran the line between um, charming and crazy vamping. You know what I mean? Like... Gaiman manages to achieve an incredible, little, incredibly little amount yeah. in his six issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, I thought you were going to say charming and horribly twee because there's some <laughs> terribly, terribly twee stuff in Gaiman's issues as well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But that's, I mean, it's Gaiman, isn't that really that's like Neil Gaiman? You know, isn't that it's not what we want from him? It's true. I mean, you know, I he'll have of... a good quote and then he'll have something sort of sentimental and then he'll have something that would make your toes curl if it was Neil Gaiman saying it and you're like oh but it's the guy who did Sandman sorry yeah it's just for me it's just it's always I've always been like the little thing but it's the guy who said wrote Sandman I'm just like eh. no I kind of understand why he's like hey I'm naked in bed with a rock star at 50 you know what I mean because after yeah, everyone understands that it's called a midlife crisis well yeah it's called we a midlife all, crisis yeah 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 but I, I see why it's amplified once you put the once you've got such a twee beginnings you know what I mean you just you kind of have to I mean this is the most socially acceptable form of midlife crisis it's i mean by comic creator standards he's still the very model of rationality you know what i mean like comic creators when they decide to go nuts they really go nuts you know what i mean he's not suddenly like hey i'm an anti-semitic libertarian like no he's just like (laughs) there's still time he's still hanging he's just hanging out yeah amanda palmer just be like it's an art piece We're, we're going to be bigots for the next year I'm kickstarting my new Nazi party. It's, it's going to be very exciting. And Neil Gaiman, because Neil Gaiman seems to, I, maybe it's just me, but Neil Gaiman always seems to have the appearance of being like, yes, I'm completely supporting Amanda, while weirdly distancing himself from whatever she does. Like, I support her right to do what she thinks is right as an artist. Yes. Which is like, it's one of those like, you know, I'm really sorry that you were offended. One of those completely not actually engaging with what's happening thing. Uh, so yeah, he'd, do the, he'd be like, yes, I think if Amanda thinks it's important to be a Nazi for a year, I think we should all think about what that means for art. As opposed to being like, I'm really embarrassed, but what can you do? Right, well, I mean, come on. He is married to her, uh, is my understanding. I, mm, I mean, you know, it's one of those lovable 21st century definitions of married, but they're married, so, you know, I think that... Like, seriously, I'm not saying that my wife is suddenly going to go crazily anti-Semitic on me, but if she did, I would I would totally prevaricate in that situation. I wouldn't be like, no, you were wrong, even though, let's face it, that is not cool, but I'd be kind of like, oh, hey, oh, wow, have you tried these uh, hors d'oeuvres? Oh, my God, they're, they're refreshingly Semitic, you know what I mean? Like, you, you would... Can, can we just have a second say that you're, it's one of those delightful 21st century definitions of marriages. It's the second time today that you've said something where I was like Jeff I feel like you're going really close to the knuckle of saying something that's offensive <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh... yeah on Twitter when you were talking to Haley Campbell mm-hmm. and you made the joke about now I've got to eat a, a pail of dicks but it's San Francisco fortunately it's San Francisco <laughs> I was like Jeff what are you saying? All right. Well, as long as I'm going to like 
Trump <laughs> over the line here. Let me tell you, this is this is one of the great things, oh. ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I think maybe you've caught on the fact that I I I live in San Francisco. I moved to San Francisco in 1984, um, and so I yesterday, I think we should see. Yes. You're at the age of seven because you're a young man. Oh, yeah, that's right. No one's going to look at that beard and believe that. They're going to be like, <laughs> and then he fell into the aging ray. Anyway, so 1984, moved here. I've been here a long time. The other day, um, Edie and I were down near Castro Street, and I needed to buy some conditioner for my beard. So there's these guys. Wait, 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 wait. Let's just let that sentence sink in for a second. <laughs> If we do, we'll never get okay, through I'll the rest go. of this story because there's so many other things. So yes, yes, I was in the Castro because of my beard. So no, 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 no. It wasn't even the Castro. It was the I needed to buy a conditioner for my beard part that I yes. just wanted to focus on for a second. Oh, 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 I thought I was making a joke about the beard part. You know? No, no, I, I, I know you were. That, that was not what I, that was the conditioner. The so beard yes, part, I, was like, I need conditioner wow. for my beard. I know. It's that is that is right there is a sentence that should tell you how long I've lived in San Francisco. Anyway. So I looked online to find out where I could find this beard conditioner that I like, because I'm like, clearly it's got to be sold in San Francisco, right? So I wait, went wait, wait, to... wait, 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 stop. You're getting conditioner that is beard conditioner. It's yes. not just like regular conditioner that you use on your beard. There's actually specifically conditioner created for beards? Yes. Seriously? There really is. There's there's beard oh my conditioner God. and beard... Does, does, it have like a pun, does it have a punny name? Bluebeards beard wash extreme beard conditioner is it and i oh my god i also yes, you've use... made my life so much better that i know that i also extreme recommend beard conditioner yeah extreme beard conditioner i also recommend bluebeard's daily beard wash which i was using and then i ran out of and that's part of why i need the extreme beard conditioner wait why can't you just use like shampoo or soap or you know, something that is not exclusively made for beards. Uh, because I feel <laughs> this is going to sound crazy, but I actually had better results using the daily beard wash than I did just regular conditioner. Okay. And no, no, that's fine. I was just asking. I'm. This is not a beard shaming zone, Jeff. I'm. I was really because it feels remarkably like the beard shaming zone that I was in just the other week. It's getting very close to it. I have to move, so I'm going to shut up, and you can just tell your story. So then, I, being me, had bought the Bluebeard's Daily uh, Beard Wash online, and I was like, you know what? I bet I can get this locally, support a local store. Where can I get it? So I go to Bluebeard's website to look up locations where I can find it, and there's a place on the Castro called, the name of the store is Rock Hard. So, I'm like, okay, the Castro, for those people who don't know San Francisco, Castro is our landmark, you know, gay neighborhood that, you know, sort of started, like, post the Summer of Love. My understanding is a lot of people moved down the hill from, you know, uh, where the Haight-Ashbury was going on to form a little enclave where the rents were super inexpensive. And it grew into the the monumental, uh, wonderful site of um, homosexual freedom that it is today. So, you've got places called like 
Moby Dick's, which is like a bar, and um, uh, Hot and Beefy, which was a burger joint for a while. So I was like, okay, rock hard, you know, or I was like, who knows what it's going to be like, right? So I'm like, yeah, it's probably going to be like a haircutting place, you know? So... We we are going on our separate errands, so I'm you know Edie goes and does her thing. I walk over to the Castro. I'm looking for this place, and I walk into Rock Hard, and it is wall to wall dong. I mean, there are dildos everywhere, and I'm like, huh. So I'm I'm like I know that they have my beard wash here somewhere amidst all the amazing like ginormous prosthetic penises so i start looking around like i'm sort of like wandering (laughs) there's like this wall of just crazy condoms and then what i figured was because i saw things that looked like a wall of shampoos i'm like okay there it is so i walk over there jeff Really? A wall of shampoos? You're in a sex shop and you're like, those are liquids. They're probably shampoos. Really? I thought at least some of them had to be shampoos because they had beard wash here. No, it was nine million kinds of lube, Graham. You are absolutely I, I've, right. I'm stunned that the place that has a wall of dildos happens to have some Oh, no. Lube. A wall of dildos actually undersells it by two and a half walls. Let me tell you. So this had three walls of dildos, my friend. Uh, and if it hadn't been a glass facade at the front, it would have been four. It would have been four walls of dildos. So go in, walking past all the uh, enormous plasticine chodes, and I'm like trying to find the beard wash. And the guy from behind the counter is like, "Can I help you?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, can, I'm looking for. Do you have the Bluebeard's Daily Beard Wash and the the conditioner?" And he looks at me for a minute. You know, because it looks like, I don't know, I guess he kind of thought that it was kind of a lame thing to be, he's like, you're looking, you're yeah, standing. Like, yeah, 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 you're clearly looking for the dildos and you're embarrassed. It's right, exactly. So yeah. on the plus side, he can see my beard and knowing, and hopefully can see it needs some conditioning. So he knew that I was legit. And he's like, yes, it's over here. And it's in this tiny, teeny section right by where I walked in. And I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, first off, I didn't even realize that there is a um, Bear's Bottom beard wash that's actually cheaper than my beard wash, but has, like, you know, a portrait of a guy with, like, you know, his extensive beard and his little, you know, bear outfit, which, you know. And and my stuff is literally right next to the anal bleacher, which I think is great, you know? The, the anal bleacher. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's where you get the little the bleach where you can bleach your anus, which I didn't know was still a thing, actually, I have to say. I thought the heyday of anal <laughs> bleaching. Yeah, in <laughs> anal bleaching was so it's so four or five years ago, I thought, you know? I didn't realize. Uh, I will just okay. I didn't even know it was ever a thing, but right. I, I'm learning so much. So, so I get my products. I walk over to uh, the counter. The guy who helped me find them rings it up, and I notice behind him is like you know those uh, they're they're almost like signboards with like black felt you know, and striations in them so you can put oh, letters yeah, yeah, across yeah, so yeah, you can, yeah. you know, put the daily special in. So it's, yeah. it's things like Matador 4 and like 
come near me six. And I'm like, huh, it's like there's... It's like a movie marquee with like a list of all these like saucy inappropriate titles, and I'm like, huh? I, I I'm like, are, is there like a video arcade in back? And it's great. The entire time I've been in the store, I have not looked above eye level. Once I do, above all the dongs is a wall screen TV of like dudes banging one another. It's like some sort of crazed threesome, like, and it's hardcore, right? And I was like, oh, I feel so embarrassed because I did not notice the entire time. I'm like checking out the beard wash. Like, you know, people are putting it in each other's butts the entire time. And then you're probably using the anal bleacher that, you know, is right next to my product. And so what I'm saying, Graham, is upon this realization, I felt such a solid rush of what could only be called nostalgia, you know? Because back when I first moved here in the 80s, like, all of that stuff was terrifying to me and pretty inappropriate, you know what I mean? Like, you're just kind of like, the Castro was amazing because, you know, they've got this whole thing going on with the Castro where it's like, they don't let, like, these new dudes sit on the benches anymore because these new dudes were coming out and now the rule is they have to put down a towel, which, let's face it, that's just common sense, right? But the fact that they actually had to push to get that little local regulation passed so that, you know, guys showing their penises on street corners, sitting out in the nude, taking in the sun and chatting, like, had to do that. Um, You know, when I first showed up and was in the Castro district, um, whether it was restaurants or, you know, going there because I had friends who lived nearby, I just remember being so shocked by, like, just how kind of in your face it was you know and i and i'm not talking about a couple holding hands who happen to be men i'm talking about when you walk into a store to buy beard wash and there is like hardcore sex like being projected on the wall right above you i was nostalgic because i was like oh that's ah that's the sort of this it's like being young all over again this level of being like kind of disquieted you know and so anyway so when i made that joke about there being a dick bucket and i'm like fortunately i'm in san francisco uh which people you would have to go to twitter to try and get the whole context for it's pretty remarkable um i really was thinking a believe me after being in rock hard i don't doubt that there's a town somewhere in this town sells dick buckets you know and b (laughs) If there is such a thing as a dick bucket, I will be able to get it because I am here in San Francisco. So that's what I'm saying. On the one hand, on the level of being, you know, inappropriate. On the other hand, considering what I went through just to get beard wash, I'm like, I I don't think anyone's really going to care. You know, like, I hope everyone understands that I'm not... It's just San Francisco. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. That's what I'm saying. Do you understand? Can I... I want to put some context for the listeners because even though you're like it's Twitter it's kind of remarkable what was actually going on was Jeff had just been told to eat a pail of dicks by Eddie Campbell's daughter right which kind of blew my mind that's why on Twitter I was like wait what because I was like Haley Campbell is Eddie Campbell's daughter who because I am old I am like Eddie Campbell's daughter is like the sweet little six year old who sits beside him when he draws from hell yes and then all of a sudden she's on Twitter and she's like a fully grown person and she's, talking, she's telling you to eat a bucket of dick well that was that yes. was blowing my mind oh i bet i bet you were like what oh i see okay this what? is kind of funny you know graham i have to tell you although it is very quick to say like oh you know 
Haley Campbell is Eddie Campbell's daughter, which admittedly is the context in no, which you know she, her. I, I know she also writes for the comics uh, journal, and she writes. She's, for the, she's a writer now. Yeah, that. she's she's a brilliant writer. She's a brilliant writer for people who don't follow her on Twitter, where she is mostly amusing, and also try and go to her website and keep track of whatever she writes. She is hilariously funny and and just a really exceptionally strong writer. So what happened was because I follow her because I'm really impressed with how incredibly sharp she is um, which is also pretty impressive you know what I mean because Eddie Campbell is no slouch himself so on the one hand it sort yeah, of no, makes exactly. sense it's, it's, you know what I mean yeah but but, but also she's, she's not her stuff is not like her dad's if that makes sense like you can see uh, a certain sense of humor she has in something you know in comparison or in similarity to her father but she's not like she doesn't have same sort of whimsy or the same sort of like what are you gonna do i feel she's a much more aggressive writer right right yeah i mean if his sense of humor is drawl she she goes right out for the outrageous slash hilarious i think you know and but but she's really she's got a fine eye for for detail in her comedic writing so i think she's awesome it's kind of appalling how young she is uh considering how talented she is anyway so so yeah she was talking about Don DeLillo books because she just finished White Noise and liked it and had sent out a general call like anyone know where I should go with Don DeLillo next and I'm you know as I think we've talked about here had read Don DeLillo like all of his stuff up through the middle of Underworld at which point things went awry for me so I've still read a good three quarters four fifths of his work uh and adored it so i was like oh well you should try this and try that and this and this and this and that and one of the things that i said because she as a fan of david foster wallace was kind of had been looking for stuff that had influenced um wallace names drops delillo a lot in his interviews and it is delillo is a big influence on infinite jest so i told her to check out um uh god why am i blocking on it now uh, the the football game from seventy two, end zone end zone, which is fantastic. And then I mentioned a bunch of other stuff, and because she specifically wanted the the Wallace related stuff, I mentioned a few other books. And then I was like, yeah, but if you get into him, then try some of his other stuff. That's great if you're a Delillo fan. And I mentioned Mao too. So today actually she, she did not like it I think she did not she basically said this is the most boring book i've ever been recommended i don't remember who on the internet told me to read this but eat a pail of dicks and i was like okay well so i was like that didn't i was like that is not really gonna make my day so then i ended up uh, tweeting but it clearly it. did because i think she was very amused by your response well eventually yeah once we got there once we got there but originally i was just going to be like uh, you know i was going to start with one of those like sort of generic moany oh writer i respect on the internet told me to pale of dicks uh, i decided to name names and figure it'd be funnier i think she seems to, she's got that sense of humor so um so it was kind of great because then you were like wait what and then we proceeded to you know basically it was like saying the you know Beetlejuice over and over and over and over (laughs) again until she finally showed up you know (laughs) it's kind of awesome and that's how you get writers you like to pay attention to ladies and gentlemen yeah so um, yeah so fortunately as far as I know we didn't get blocked out of the whole situation so she said she followed you Jeff yeah I her and Joel Golby who I 
don't know if they're dating or what, but he is also hilarious. The two of them are two of the funniest people on Twitter. And if you sort of tweet stock either or both of them, their interactions are quite hilarious. So I, I, I've never even heard of him before. I'll have to look into him. Yeah, yeah, look into him. He is, he is. They are, they are quite, they are quite the crack up. So. Anywho, uh, yeah, I, wow, I can't even believe how long we've been talking, and this is, wow, 35 minutes. At least we talked about Miracle Man just a little bit. It's like, this yeah, is Yeah, we, 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 did, we did some comic stuff, come on. Yeah, yeah. yeah actually, yeah, Haley Campbell is actually writing a book about Neil Gaiman to, like, sort of bring most of it, like, full circle, so, you know. And she's Eddie Campbell's daughter. It's still a comic connection. I also completely got her mixed up uh, this morning with Leah Moore. Oh yeah! Like my brain, I just made a connection. I was like, "Yeah, Haley Campbell, she writes all those books for Dynamite." And I was like, "No, no, she doesn't. That's Leah Moore. No, right." Like, so first, I thought you'd said something like, "You know, whatever." The Sherlock Holmes comics are terrible, or like the her Dracula comic was atrocious, and that was why she was telling you to eat a pillow sticks. And then I was like, "No, that's to- someone totally different." Yeah, and, uh, yeah. No, no, this this was much more. Um, must have been all the more sort of surreal and slapdash for you when you realized what was going on. Jeff, Jeff, I have to uh, to go back to comics for a second. I have to show you what I read last Ooh, night. Are yes. you excited? Mm-hmm, I am. <gasps> Is that the second volume, you fucker? Oh, did you get that at the library? The, yes, it's the second volume of The Secret Society of Supervillains. Oh. Listeners to this podcast may remember that Jeff bought the first volume the other week and was struck by how absolutely bad shit insane it is. All I can tell you is this, Jeff, because I then got the first volume at the library as well. Um, the second volume raises that budget insane level to a whole new degree. Oh no, really? It's one of the few times that you read a comic and you're like, you know what, with this guy, that was a mirror ceiling. It <laughs> goes nuts. It goes absolutely nuts. Um, and the weird thing is, I've read the final issues of this comic when I was a kid. Really? And I didn't know that. Oh my god! Yeah, I and it only, it's one of those things. Like I see the covers and looking through the book, and I'm like, holy fuck! I remember get, picking that comic up in like a second hand bookstore when I was like ten. Oh, it was man. the first time I'd ever read about Earth three. Wow! That was where I found I found those characters, and is it like it's the final few issues of this? It's it's nuts. It is a crazy ass collection. Mm-hmm. It actually starts off because this is what's in it. It is. Um, Issues 11 to 15 of Secret Society of Supervillains. Right. Plus uh, DC's special series issue 6, which is a, a special issue of Secret Society of Supervillains. Plus oh, DC's right. special issue 27, which I swear to God is actually called DC Special Presents Captain Comet in Danger Dinosaurs at Large. <laughs> Subtitle The Incredible Dinosaur Invasion of 1977. I think I had that comic. <laughs> plus three issues of Super Team Family, plus three issues of Justice League, plus the two uh, issues that were never finished from Cancel Comics Cavalcade. Oh my god, I'm going to have to get this book, which is a shame because the first one was so it was so entertaining in its terribleness, I can't imagine. Well, I'd, I'd wait for the paperback of this if it ever comes out, because this is a hardcover and it's $40, Jeff. I know! It's not, it's not $40 worth of entertaining. <sighs> I, I warn you right now, it's really not. If I if I uh, go through nuts. Amazon and get it, because you were Mr. Like, Jeff, get on the internet, like here on Amazon, you can get it for, let's see here, tappity tap tap, 1860. 
You know? uh, I will be surprised if you can get that for under thirty dollars on Amazon. But I'm I'm going to look right now on my Kindle. Uh, talk amongst yourselves, listeners, mm-hmm. or Jeff. Yeah, or Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there was something kind of like offhanded about that. Okay, volume two, twenty five ninety eight. See, that's what I'm telling. You. Yeah, cause, yeah. Or eighteen forty nine new. I could get it. Well, then maybe new. maybe it's worth eighteen forty nine. But um, yeah, it's nuts, Jeff. It's a crazy comic. It is one of those comics where you can actually see every single issue that they're like, "What are we going to do this month?" Oh fuck knows. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's totally. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but uh, it, it is almost worth it for the dinosaur invasion of Earth, nineteen seventy-seven. I swear to God, I had that issue. I wonder what happened to it. I wonder why it's not in my 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 mega overview. You probably destroyed it. You, you probably were like, "Oh God, I can't deal with this. It's terrible." Uh, you're going to ask who wrote it? It's Bob Rosakis all the way through to Justice League and then oh, Jerry Conway. Holy shit! Okay, wow. Yeah, because Bob Rosakis like took over like halfway through Volume One, as you may remember, and was impressively dismissive of everything that wasn't his some of the ideas that his sort of ultra nerdy DC um, you know continuity stuff so is very I'm kind of curious to see how that would actually roll out you know uh, let's see does he also write the super team family stuff no Jerry Conway writes uh, the super team family issues yeah. and also the uh, secret society special so basically it's like half and half it's half Bob Rosakis and half Jerry Conway wow well, interesting, interesting. Um, DC Bronze Age, the way you want it to be, true believer. <laughs> terrible, just terrible. It is kind of terrible. I was reading it and I was like, it's kind of funny how entertaining this terrible is, as opposed to like today's terrible, where you're like, oh, this is just terrible. See, and this was one of those things when I told you about it, you were like, but Jeff, isn't this like, remember, you asked me specifically how it was any different, and it is different, isn't it? Well, here's the thing. It is and isn't, because I also got a uh, comp to me this week, the um, latest issue of Justice League of America. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, the first time... It's part of the Forever Evil storyline. It's the first time you've seen any of the Justice League members. Mm. We're now two months in. It's first time, and basically, it's like where the Justice League are. Mm-hmm. And it's actually really good. Really? Uh, I, I will... I will hedge my bets a bit. It's really good if you're still paying attention to DC and Justice League, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't expect anyone who is not, who's like, I haven't read a Justice League comic in 10 years. I'm going to pick this up. Because you'll be like, what the fuck? I don't get it. It's um by far the most entertaining part for every evil so far. Mm-hmm. By mm-hmm. far. Like, leagues ahead of everything else that's been done in Forever Evil. Wow. Um, somewhat surprisingly, it's not written by Jeff Johns or anyone resembling Jeff Johns. It's written by Matt Kint who does a spectacular job with it. Interesting. That is exactly what I was going to ask, is how it could be so much better, considering, um, you know, Johns had actually done a lot of the Forever Evil stuff. So it's not actually his, huh? No, it's it's Matt Kent. And it's a it goes with a very, very simple idea, which is that the Justice League are in some sort of, like, super scientific prison somewhere, but they're all imprisoned individually in essentially their worst-case scenario. Right. Whatever the worst case scenario is. So for the Flash, it's that he, no matter how fast he runs, he can't save everyone. Mm-hmm. For Green Lantern, who is no longer Hal Jordan in this, it's uh, Simon Baz. Mm-hmm. It's that he is actually a terrorist, mm. and he accidentally does destroy Detroit. For <laughs> Superman, it's that he can't undo the death of Doctor Light. Yada yada. 
Interesting. Um, and it's just, it's a really nice issue. Hmm. It, it's kind of sad that it's sort of connected to Forever Evil, which has been so disappointing up until now. Right. Right. Well, who knows? Maybe it'll um, help turn it around. But, you know? but what I was going to say is it's got a focus on character mm-hmm. in a way that makes it both really like the Secret Society stuff and also much better than the Secret Society stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, in part because the level of craft is better. Because back then they really were hacking it out as in like, Completely. who's going to fill up these 20 pages? Oh, fuck it. Right. Um, but they still included character moments even if the character moments were so completely on the nose it would be like Aquaman turns to Flash hey don't you like Twinkies yes I do like Twinkies you know what I mean like really really broad I think you're on the edge of saying something inappropriate here Graham (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking about the delicious hostess uh, fruits flavoured snacks Jeff Still saying something inappropriate. Oh my god, you're frozen with the most terrible thing ever. <laughs> really? Oh, okay, I'm moving now. Can you see me move? Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I have to. You froze, and I actually took a photograph of what you froze with, and I have to email it to you. Oh, no. Jeff, no it, is, it is amazing. I mean, amazing. Oh, no. Okay. Well. No, no, no you, you will see. Uh, why I was terrified that this just froze. Oh, I don't want to know. So, um... Well, fortunately, I haven't gotten the email, so I can pretend it didn't happen. So, Graham, that is fantastic. <laughs> it's coming. It's on its way there. I actually got a bunch of other DC stuff that was comped, uh, including two other Forever Evil books. I got Forever Evil Trinity of Sin Pandora. Because, <laughs> yes, it's now got two subtitles. Yes. Uh, which is... It remains better than it has any right to be, while not actually a good comic, if that makes sense. Now, who's writing? Is that... That's not Fox, Ray is Fox. It? Okay, it is Ray, Ray Fox. Ray Fox is writing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's now got Francis Portella drawing, who mm. used to be doing the uh, League Legion of Superheroes books, mm-hmm. and is a really underrated artist. This is not the right comic for him. Mm. He was much better on Legion, mm-hmm. uh, but there are times in this issue where he really looks like Kevin McGuire's stuff. Wow. And it just makes me think, yeah, someone needs to get him on like a really nice, clean superhero book. Yeah. And he'd really shine. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm really surprised that he's not been placed on something like that yet. I honestly thought when he was doing the Legion stuff that it was really obvious that they should give him, you know, uh, an all-ages title, for want of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it put him on a Superman book, for example, he would right. be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would really like to him on a Superman book. Um, they also sent Rogue Rebellion. Oh, uh-huh. Hmm. Uh, I I love the Flash. I love the rogues in the Flash. Yes. I also have. I think they're a fun collection of characters. What I do not love is the insistence that DC has over the last few years that the rogues are somehow better than the other supervillains mm-hmm. and that they have some sort of moral codes that makes them, I don't know, different. And that's what this series is all about. Hmm. The series is essentially like, we never wanted to rule the world. We just wanted to become rich. So now we're going to save the world. Which is kind of like, I'm not sure I buy into it. Huh, that's Uh, funny. I actually can sort of see that as a rogue turn, in fact. But that may well be because of the way that I've just... It's very consistent with the way they've been portrayed in the last few years. Especially Jeff John's run. Yeah. Uh, I'm just not sure... In part because I think my rogues are the William Messner Loeb's run, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
where they'd all pretty much stopped being supervillains even. Right. Well, see, that's what I was going to say. Like, like yeah, that's why I'm like, it's kind of funny that I thought you would go for sort of this idea of them being anti-heroes whenever possible. You know well, what I mean? I, it's, I guess what it is is, I think from the low run, because I did read some of the, the Carrie Bates Barry Allen run that came before that. Right. I was. I think I'm weirdly invested in the idea that they're not even in it to become rich. They're in it to piss off Barry Allen. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and that in almost makes them not even villains to me. Right. That makes them more like nuisances, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so I don't. I, there's just something about the like they are villains, like they are evil and black-hearted, but they've also got hearts of gold. There's something about that that just doesn't sit right with me. I see. I think I'd rather if they're just like they're jerks. Yeah, they're kind of petty you know dicks I mean? in a way. Sort yeah, of. like I if it, if it was just the level of they're petty dicks and the you, because what you get with uh, Rogue Rebellion and with other things is that they're like you know, we're not we're not in control of the world, but we are evil and we'll now do something to prove that we're evil. You know, right. I saw this person and I set them on fire to prove that I'm evil, <laughs> but I've got a moral code and that's what doesn't sit right. Yeah, no, I was going to say like that's if, what's if, always problematic. I think is the idea that it, yeah. You know, if they just did, I well, you know, they're kind of dicks to Barry Allen in particular. Mm-hmm. Like he's gone under their skin, and they've abandoned any pretense of being villains otherwise. Like they they would rob a bank. <laughs> my my rogues are they would rob a bank, and if Barry Allen wasn't there, they wouldn't even take the money. Ah, they'd be like, oh fuck it, let's just go away. Then what's the point? Interesting, interesting. Um, yeah, I think I think that sort of. It's interesting because I think I'm a little more of a fan of the traditional anti-hero element, but I am not a very close reader of The Flash, interestingly enough. You know, like the the trial of Barry Allen was a terrific read, and I've got some old Flash issues in my collection. Like the, you know, I also liked sort of the Messner Lobes and and uh, Steve Barron, no, Mike Barron. Thank you. Um, stuff, but I didn't go really very far into it. Like, you know, like I probably stopped about around issue 40 and then picked it up again once Wade picked it up. So, mm-hmm. you know. All, I, all, I'm not saying this to bankrupt you, but all of that stuff's available on Comixology now. Yeah, I know. I do know. And it, and it, because I thought I was the one who told you because they were coming out at like 99 cents an issue for yeah. like the first 20 all, or 30 all, issues or something. No, it's all the way up to issue 50. Wow. See? And I mean, it's, that's it's yeah. issue 50 where it becomes 199. And even then, it's 199, which is not horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, for 99 cents, I was kind of like, God, why aren't I rebuying this? Apart from the fact that I was just, it, it was around the time I started putting myself on a budget. And I was like, well, I really. Because the Suicide Squad stuff, the first issue was $0.99, cents, maybe the first two issues, and if only they'd kept at that price point. But, like, you know, that's one where I've sort of, like, I keep telling myself when I have some back issue money, and as long as we're talking about sale. digital issues, let me just say that it's been something like a month and a half, maybe two months since they've released an issue of Commandy in digital, and so I'm heartbroken yep. and convinced it might have stopped. Dead. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is a shame because they have it all. They got the digital files. I'm, I'm like they're only like six issues away from completing. You know Kirby at least Kirby's. Are they? Well, of Kirby writing and drawing, I think there's a bunch of issues of him. Maybe not. Maybe it is more. I should break open this. The thing that's ironic is that I should reach over and just pick the second omnibus off my shelf, and I can actually see when he stops writing and drawing it. All right, everyone. Talk amongst, yourself. Talk amongst yourselves, listeners and Graham. 
Um, let's see. Where do 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 credits, please. Um, yeah, they they got to Commandy. God, what did they get to? Like maybe twenty six, I think, and then Kirby keeps going all the way up to. God, I guess it's really it's thirty seven. And then from 38 through 40 is where Jerry Conway is doing the writing. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's drawing and, and uh, someone else is writing, right? Uh, yeah, Kirby Kirby's drawing. Conway is doing the, the scripting for whatever and crazy reason. And they've got uh, Joe Kubert doing the covers, which is kind of a weird mm. mix. Hey, speaking of Kirby, we should really talk about... Battling boy. Oh, it lights, because you, you didn't like it. I could surmise from your email earlier on, and I'm super curious. So here's the thing. Honestly, as a... Okay, so basically my thing is if I had known going into Battling Boy that I was reading the world's most spectacular highly priced DC first issue presents ever, I would have had a completely different set of expectations than what I had. As it was, I was reading it. It's first off, it's um, the work itself, I think, is phenomenal. Like if anyone has any doubts, if you like Paul Pope even a little, it's basically Paul Pope doing Jack Kirby as a Miyazaki movie is the way that I would pitch that. And that just hits so many of my erogenous zones. I would actually add Dick Ditko in there. I see an awful lot of Ditko in Pope's evocation of Kirby in this. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Well, it could be, because I feel like I feel like um, Pope is... Like, he loves Kirby, but he clearly... His, his storytelling is more, is more Ditko-y. You know what I mean? Yeah. And frankly, let's let's face it. There's a huge, huge influence of um, the Fleischer Superman cartoons in this too, which to me isn't surprising because Miyazaki actually pulls a lot of that stuff too. Like if you look at like uh, uh, Castle Cagliostro and what's 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 the one with the big metal dudes? Is that uh, anyway? So it's it's very much you know Fleischer Superman cartoons in huge places Kirby. But but Pope's movement of people is very Ditko-y. I love the fact that looking at the Haggard West stuff, when whenever West comes in for a landing, he always has to keep running, you know, because it's that little yeah. like yeah. hop hop run kind of thing. Just beautiful yeah. stuff. Just absolutely beautiful movements and things. But at the same time, he's really going for it's you know I kept I was like kind of like oh it's New Gods oh, it's actually like Thor actually it's kind of like new gods and thor and it's so i was very much like mr miracle done as a miyazaki movie and blah 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 all of that stuff is all great but you know what at no point at no point do they say that it's the first book it is not conclude it does not you don't even get an impression that it's going to go on anywhere you have to take it as its own thing as its own story and as its own story it is utterly fucking incomplete like it, it taken on its own thing, Pope is lining up all this stuff that is clearly going to pay off, like in the long run for huge things. But there's no, 
by the end of it, I kind of was convinced that even Pope didn't think he was going to be coming back for it, you know? Really? Yeah. See, okay, I, I approach it totally different for two reasons. One, I've known all along it was going to be two books. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Because he said That's that great. in okay. every single interview he's ever done about it. Terrific. Uh, Why didn't they put said, book one in it then? Why is I it really don't book know. one? I really, and I'm really surprised there's no to be continued in either of the There's end. no sign. It, it, it seems utterly self contained. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But without any signs of will return in or anything like that. Um, uh, so so I approached going as, oh, I know there's a second book. Actually, by the time I read it, I knew there was also going to be uh, the prequels. Mm-hmm. So like I, I would by the time I actually read the whole thing, I knew it was like this is book one of however many he ends up doing. That's fucking a relief, let me tell you. Um, well, you, you know that uh, they've already announced the first prequel, right? No, no, I, I don't, don't know anything. Yeah. Uh, the Rise of Aurora West is the first prequel, huh. which is going to come out next year, and it's going to be Pope co-writing with someone, and someone else is going to be drawing, mm-hmm. uh, and it's going to be flashback material filling in Aurora's backstory. Hmm. From this book, um, but yeah, so I knew all. I knew going in, it was like essentially the first half of the story. Yeah, and so I didn't have that incomplete at all. But what's really interesting is, even if there what hadn't been, even if I didn't know that, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have had the response you did. In part because for me, I'm okay with the superhero story ending with it to be continued like that. I think that what I would have had more of a problem with is there's not enough meat on the arc within this first story is that what you're saying it's kind of close there's a little bit i feel like because uh, believe me like that that first that final 10 pages moves like gangbusters and arguably pope slips in enough of the connected dots that you kind of feel like okay i didn't i did read a satisfying installment you know what I mean? Like, I did get that feeling. Like, oh, okay, like, he's had to admit the fact, like, Battling Boy has had to admit the fact that he can't do it on his own. And uh, Aurora West has, um, you know, taken on her father's mantle and sort of come out of nowhere. And you see that uh, Coil and Wire, I think it's Wire, both are, you know, are kind of, not only do they get away, but you realize that they are beholding to other dudes. But there's a lot of it, like, there's a long sequence where um, they go to the bar to recruit the bad guys, and they've got the chainsaw and all that sort of stuff. It goes on for pages, and it's, which is great if it's a longer continuing piece, but looking at it I kind of and again and this is the other thing that is I know kind of put you in a hard space because I know you know the people in first second and I know you know the marketing people and you're close to them and it's awesome but they stack the deck in certain ways that I feel cuts against the grain of this book um it doesn't do it any favors. And one thing is, is I feel like by not mentioning it as book one, people are more likely to pick it up as a self-contained book rather than just sure. be like, oh, I'm going to sure. wait till the second part. And also, honestly, the size of the book is too small for Pope's art. I'm more convinced of it now reading it than I was the first time. Really? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's huh, parts okay. in it, Graham, where you look in the background, even the stuff that's in the Haggard West full-size shot, where it's like scenes where he lands or he takes off and you can see the thin little flying wings that 
aren't there in this version or like when somebody's holding somebody back and it reduces down to the size of blobs like one of the things is to me and I this is totally pulled out of my ass and I can't really say that it's a ironclad theory because I was only thinking of it while I was looking at it but one of the things that's great about Pope to me is is that he takes kind of what you think of very epic things and then tells them on a very sort of human scale if you know what I mean like he always accentuates that human scale right and so but he's very cautious on the sides in which he uh, the size of the canvas on which he chooses to do that and I think on this thing and it's interesting because as a guy who whether it was talking about the digital comics or talking about you know cheapy reprints or reading like those Conan books in like paperback where it was only like a panel per page and basically kind of like the comic in the story is is the story is always the draw for me I was really surprised that I kept getting dragged out by the feeling that especially Pope's inks where he lays on the black is designed for a comic size page and when you push them too close together the page feels busy and unbalanced I feel than than at than at a more regular comic size. So between that and the fact that there's no indication, like I said, I didn't know that this was like clearly it's not finished. But there's no like book one. There's no anything that suggests with any kind of confidence that that anyone believes that Pope is coming back for a second book of this. And so I mean, it's great if you know outside the box, but there's no, no, nothing it's, it's in there. It's very funny because like that just hadn't occurred to me like I was aware that it didn't say book one or to be continued Mm -hmm. but like it didn't occur to me because I knew there was going to be another book Mm -hmm. like that wouldn't have upset me because I was just like oh there's going to be another book do you know what I mean like that that didn't even occur to me as as a problem yeah no it was it was a problem Um, for me I admit it what what's really funny is you pull out the 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 scene in the villain's bar as like as unfinished Mm. that's like that paid off for me when they didn't show up the unfinished stuff for me is Aurora. Aurora yeah, yeah, yeah. Is like Aurora the is the unfinished thing. part. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. What I mean is that does pay off in the sense of, like, for one thing, he breaks out that chainsaw again to attack Battling Boy with, and then afterwards he goes back and, like, gives those guys shit, and they're kind of like, oh, hey, we forgot. I mean, it has a payoff. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is is when I, it, when I felt it was just one unit of storytelling... Mm-hmm. I thought that the amount of pages that are put into that, because it's a relatively hefty sequence for the amount of payoff that you get in the end, like in a bigger set of books, like a bigger tapestry and a a really good analog might be Jeff Smith's bone bone, for example, where he'll have like a whole sequence that's set for just, you know, the rat creatures, which is great. Um, But here where I just, again, didn't know and i honestly don't have that much confidence in pope traditionally counting on him to finish up his projects to really be sure that this was going to wrap up you know so i found myself being really frustrated in that scale but you're right the aurora west stuff is rough the battling boy himself is actually a really flat character his his father is actually in his weird way you know, more developed at this point in this volume, you know? Yeah, I, I think in part because his father is acting against the stereotype, whereas Battling Boy is the stereotype. Yeah, exactly. Like, Battling Boy doesn't evolve beyond it, whereas I think the father is always, I, throughout the entire thing, is always presented as he looks like Thor, but really he's just a disgruntled father. 
Right. And that gives him more depth, because you're like, oh, I expected A, and I've got B. Right. Whereas with Battling Boy, you're like, he looks like A, and he's A. Yeah. And I mean, and don't get me wrong, it made sense, because I was very much the idea of like, it made sense to me the idea that he that his father was going to overshadow him for the first half of the narrative because it literally you need oh, for the character the of the book. Yeah, exactly yeah. to come out from underneath that shadow. But then when I was getting toward the end and I'm like, shit, is there is this going to wrap up in in and of itself? And it didn't. I was like, well, goddamn it. So that's so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I I had such a different experience because I went in with such different expectations. Right. That's yeah. That's so amazing to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is kind of interesting to me too. But I really was. I was like, ah. So I mean, I love this work, but I don't feel it's being presented in its best format or the best context for somebody who's not already in the know about it. You know. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Jeff. That was great. I'm glad you put all that in my brain. None of it was. Good. Thumbs up to Jeff Lester, Thank everyone. you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Uh, uh, can I talk about something? Us. Can I talk about something that uh, you've not read very quickly, but and you can't read, but I wish you could? Yes, please. Which is Al Ewing's issue of uh, Avengers Assemble. Ah, uh, yeah. Al Ewing does a fill-in for Avengers Assemble with art by Pepe Larraz. Uh, I want to say it's issue 21. I might be misremembering and I don't want to put on my Kindle because last time I did, it actually really played havoc with the Wi-Fi here and you cut out. So oh. I'm not going to. Let me see if I can um, check it without... It is the... It's an Infinity issue uh, starring the Uncanny Avengers. So yeah, things are now getting super weird. He's It's not in the Uncanny Avengers book. It's in the Avengers Assemble book. It is essentially a one-off story about Wonder Man... The Scarlet Witch and the Wasp dealing with someone who has been uh, affected by the Terrigen Mists being released on Earth. Right. It is... Al Ewing can write the hell out of a done-in-one, old-school Marvel superhero book. It's the point where I like, just give him the Uncanny Avengers book, give him whatever comic he wants, just let him do this as much as he wants. He's so good at it. This is it it's was, issue twenty, by the way. I guess right. It's issue okay. twenty of Avengers Assemble. Like that's yeah. the least important it, it, thing to know. But yeah, but yeah, it is. It is really, really very good for people like me who sort of grew up on the Roger Stern era, sort of dipping into the Walt Simonson era right. of Avengers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something really nicely human about it. There, mm. it's, it's, there's a very personal scale to it. Uh, for like 20 pages it's spectacular it's really really good and makes me wish that the characters could be that interesting on an ongoing basis <sighs> yeah no kidding no kidding I you know it, it is a shame I, I I freely admit that that Ewing is the is I think the strongest draw for me for Marvel I mean there's a few other things that I sort of miss you know like being able to see David Aha's art although apparently he's you know has missed a lot of issues of Hawkeye, for example, and a few he, other things. But... Well, to be fair, Hawkeye has missed a lot of issues. Yeah. By the end of this year, if everything comes out on time, I think there will have been six issues of Hawkeye. Wow. Hmm. So Haw- Hawkeye's schedule went really weird this year. Right. Right. Um, interesting. Well, yeah, so that sounds great. So it's just a fill-in. Meanwhile, he's got the other regular Avengers book that he's writing. He's got right? Mighty Avengers that he's doing, yeah, yeah, which I'm just enjoying the hell out of. How many issues has uh, he had out of that? Has it been more than one? Two. Two, two. two so mm-hmm. far. 
Uh, and he did a really nice swerve in the, the end of the second issue. So the first three issues are theoretically Infinity crossovers. Right. And midway through the second issue, they deal with the Infinity crossover, and then it ends up that Shumagorath is actually the villain for the third issue. Wow. Nice. <laughs> and I was like, of course! Of course it's a giant fucking, you know, Lovecraftian lizard demon mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> invading New York. Why not? We can do, deal with that in an issue. Yeah. So it's a nice book. That's great. That's great. Well, before we get to uh, the Wait What Book Club installment, cause it is, and it is the perfect segue, I should mention that after reading Battling Boy, I read this super quickly, and holy cow, do I like Patrick Gleason's art. It is just so nice. This is said that before. Batman and Two-Face. This is issue 24. Pete Tomasi, Patrick Gleason. I know that I skipped at least one issue, if not two, uh, before this that I have not read, but I figured, like, eh, I could pick this up. Yeah, it's he his sort of gothic, over-illustrated il- style in some pieces is just lovely. And there's weird stuff, like Pete Tomasi's writing in this is really weird. Really weird. I'd be really interested to have weird you check it out. Weird or weird... I, I will when it gets to the store. Like Batman right. and Robin slash Batman and whatever it is these days is uh, is on my pull list. I, okay, I, good. I think I think Tomasi and Gleason are a great team. I've loved them since they did Green Lantern Core for a couple of years. Right, right. Uh, and I'm tempted to hunt some that. of that stuff up because they are. I really loved it. And I tried jumping into the beginning of this Batman and Robin run because I picked up the first trade and it was both kind of interesting and kind of dull. It stumbles a bit at the start. Yeah, it really does, and then it, it kind of it definitely heats up. That the death in the family issues were of the family well, were actually the what, best issues. What is actually I think what is great is if you again you'll probably have to hunt up your library for this. If you can read all of the Damien issues of this series, so I think it's one through sixteen mm-hmm. uh, in a sitting, mm-hmm. you will see that Tomasi set up a shit ton of stuff in those first issues mm-hmm. that pays off in like the death in the family issues. And the the epilogue following it, I like it. a shit ton. Yeah. There are lines of dialogue that pay off. Wow! Um, the, it, it's amazingly well done. Uh, you did you read their uh, Blackest Night Green Lantern core issues? If not, <sighs> those are the ones to hunt up, Jeff. Right. You'll he did they did the best Blackest Night issues mm-hmm. uh, with the simplest of ideas, which is oh that's right, shit tons of zombie Green Lanterns on Oa. Right. The end. Right. <laughs> Let's do a horror story with that. Yeah, I believe and it because really, they're very really good, good with stuff. the horror stuff, actually, of course. They're really well synced up. Well, check out this latest issue because the thing that's interesting to me is Tomasi is, and maybe I was not reading the other issues as closely, but this issue in particular would, if I'm giving. T- to give Tomasi the benefit of the doubt, he's doing some very, very interesting dialogue flattening for, I think, deliberate effects. Um, and I don't know if that's just to rebound off of the art or whatever, but or if it's just sort of the same way that Gleason's art has always been stylized. It feels like Tomasi is pushing the stylization of the dialogue in a way that matches it in this issue. Interesting. And and I, I could be wrong on that, but I really was struck by... I was like, it really feels like a very different sort of um, 
Batman comic than, than I think they were even doing before. But yeah, as one of the few DC books that I'm picking up and as something that's still two ninety nine, thank God bless it, uh, it's, it's an enjoyable read. I, I mean, a weird read. This issue was not complete, and there was a couple of really weird storytelling shortcuts that made me feel like, am I supposed to know this? Very strange book since Damien died. It's mm-hmm. been re- like I'm sure they think there's a through line, right. but having read them all, I'm not sure if there really is. Yeah. At first, it was yeah. like, oh, they're doing the five stages of grief, and then like an issue later, you're like, well, they're clearly not, unless this is an issue, a stage of grief that I've never heard of. Yeah, it's it's super super weird. It it it's a it becomes a very strange comic after Damien's. Yeah, it really does. Like they're kind of like, what are we gonna do? And this is one of the first issues that I've read that sort of felt like, okay, we know where we're kind of going. Like it it's the first issue to me that didn't feel like a a fill in title in some ways. Um, I want to say you might have missed the last issue. I can't even remember who the guest star was last issue. Maybe yeah, I'm sure I missed it. I, I'm sure I did. Um, I think it, you did tell me it was Catwoman and it was a nice change because it was a little bit more yeah, moving yeah, toward the embracing yes. life and, angle and, of and things. It, yeah, it felt like there was a little bit less of the playing for time. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there definitely did seem like there's some filler in there if they didn't really know what they're doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. We'll, we'll, see. we'll see where it goes. I know that it's doing the origin of Two-Face is the arc for the next few issues. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And Carrie Kelly is apparently going to be explained in that, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, she, I don't think she popped up at all this issue, but I could see where maybe that might happen, frankly. So, uh, yeah, we'll see where that goes. Anyway, just wanted to mention it before we move on to kind of the main draw, which is uh, the book club discussion, if you're ready. Are you ready? I'm I'm ready, Jeff. I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm barely ready. Oh, you know, before before we talk about it, let me just say that as somebody <laughs> proof that you're not ready. I'm not ready. I, I caught up on you know, there was a new magazine this week. Um and uh I wanted to mention that it was really interesting because they had the this issue's pack in graphic novel was uh Detonator X. Did you ever read that? No, what is Detonator X? Detonator X has, like, it's got such a great title. It is basically a giant robot comic um, scripted by Ian Edgington and illustrated by Steve Yow that ran in... Oh, I'm, I'm almost definitely going to buy it now purely because Steve Yow... Me and Steve Yule, I, I will, I'm always far too tempted to buy anything he draws. Well, it's so good. It's interesting, and what as they point out, like when you start reading it, it's very much like, holy shit, this is remarkably similar to Pacific Rim. Now, I mean, admittedly, there with the giant robots versus giant monsters thing, there's a lot of ways in which one can say, holy shit, this is really similar to Pacific Rim. But as a book, bu- as a book that came, as a prog, you know, series of prog that came out um it's a you know, really close it's not just like giant robots versus lizards but there's there's actual specific plot points there or something well it's for example it starts off in which in their attempts to get a new energy source for earth they tap into another dimension to draw the energy from in the course of drawing that energy out from it, it turns out that there are creatures on the other side of it that they have pissed off. The creatures come through, they beat the shit out of Earth. So then Earth ends up building 
a series of 10 giant robots, of which Detonator X is, of course, the 10th. So it could be probably yeah. called Detonator 10. They end up beating back the monsters, then falling into disrepair. Earth gets more pathetic, so the giant robots are basically all washed up and rendered inert. And this is all sort of told as a prologue in the very first prog. So in that sense, that itself is remarkably similar to the structure of the first, what, 10, 15 minutes of, you know. But then it goes on because essentially instead of having it be uh, the haves have moved into space and have colonized and terraformed other planets. And the have-nots have been stuck on Earth, which has basically been turned into a junk planet. So it's Perseverum meets Elysium. Meets Elysium, yeah. But there's actually was a little bit, although it's only, it's only talked about but never shown, but they talk very much about the idea in Pacific Rim, how the rich have all retreated inland, and it's the poor in the oh, yeah, coastal yeah. cities. No, so. no, it, was just, it was just the rich getting off Earth part that I was like, hey, that's that Matt Damon film that everyone... Yeah, exactly. There's good. probably a lot more in there, too. So it, it goes on from there. Honestly... Despite all that, and I mean, I read it through. I read it all in one sitting. There's a variety. I, it was not that great. Oh, and, oh, and the structure of the giant robots are such that for whatever reason, there's two dudes in it. You know, and so <laughs> wow. Yeah, so there's a variety yeah. of things where it's like I would be shocked if somebody did not read this, even if they have if totally forgot it. Steve Young's work, there's pieces in which it's great, and there's also pieces in which it seems un- under-rendered, you know what I mean? Like, it really is, like, Young's work, as much as I appreciate things about him, he's very... He should be drawing, I don't know, the rose and the thorn, or you know what I mean? He's not necessarily the sort of guy that I would think of as big widescreen action, especially in a book, you know, since it's a 2000 AD prog, where you have to be able to suggest that without being able to go all the way and show it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, enjoyable. And I mean, the I, I realized I hadn't read the graphic novel pack-in from the magazine before, which was a ridiculously old... Uh, whoever the cab driver with the robot arm is, Tanner or whatever, like Tanner like gets kicked out of Zero City and basically has a lot of um, really bad fake faux cursed Earth story adventures. The, 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 um, the Night Zero and Beyond Zero stories were... They were actually written, this is completely random, but they were written by 2008's movie critic at the time. Yes. And I think it's, I think it's really clear. Like, you're like, oh, he's ripping off this movie. Yeah. Oh, he's ripping off this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, this one where he's very, and he, he's ripping off the whole um, sort of golden age of serials. He actually wrote, I guess, Carnosaur, and they, they puff his name up like he's a big thing, you know, on the back of these books. They're forgettable, disposable trash. But I am amazed at sort of like Secret Society of Supervillains, how much, and admittedly, I've missed the, you know, the shit of the shit era that you guys have talked about. But crazily disposable 2000 AD stuff, I can read it for apparently 60 pages at a time without blinking, you know? But that's also just it. Like, it's being presented. Like, when you were saying Detonator X was not really doing it for you, Part of me is like, well, of course it's not. It's the free giveaway with the magazine. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, obviously, not not all of them can be winners. And so when you get something free, I feel like your expectations are lowered the same way that they are when you read Secret Society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's no way they can sell Secret Society to you as, like, this is a great lost classic of comics. Because you know it's not. You're going to be like, oh, Barbara Zakis, Jerry Conway, and Arville Jones, those are the cream of the cream of 1970s (laughs) creators. This must be the greatest comic ever. Instead, you're like, those are, you know, completely professional workmen creators. Right. This will be, you know... This will be twenty pages of comic per issue. Yeah. So that, yeah, you know, exactly. And on that level, I feel like you approach it totally differently. So I think yeah. when you have a Death in the Rex or a Night Zero, you're like, how bad can it be? And if you go in with that, which I did, except Detonator X really was when I saw that cover. I'm like, oh, this is going to be fantastic. And then reading the first chunk of it and being like, holy shit, this is so Pacific Rim before it was Pacific Rim. This yeah. could be amazing. And by the end, it was like, eh. But I still read it. I still kind of enjoyed it in that way that you can enjoy reading comics that aren't very good. You know, yeah, they're not even again, laughably bad. You know. Yeah, but again, it's sixty pages of free stuff. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you it's, know what I mean, like yeah. you're 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 getting your you're getting the rest of the magazine. I, I mean, ultimately, you're paying what four or five dollars for. <laughs> 130, 140 pages of comics every month? Yeah, let's not go into this because last time we discussed it and you're like, oh, so basically, Jeff, you could be paying one-tenth of the price yeah, no, if you're no, just no, buying no, it direct you, through. But yeah, no, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, I do know. I do know for, what you're saying. For what you're paying, especially if you compare it to American comics, yeah. you're getting much more than you would if you were, pi- you were buying it. Agreed. An American title. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, it's... Con- yeah. I I will I will concede that point and I enjoy it. The trick is is you just have to realize some of it's not so good, but you still but having it all bundled in one package like that sort of gives you license to read it. Like you're kind of like, oh, like you're saying, like it's it's thrown in there anyway, so it's sort of like a real cheapy bonus. So you can read it yeah. with that sort of like, oh, hey, I got I got free terrible comics thrown in with my good stuff, well, you know. I have to admit, I wish they did the the packing comics in the magazine I wish they sold those separately right I really do because I would buy all the fucking Mercy Heights stuff which I've never read but as a Rogue Trooper fan I really like I'm curious about its place in the mythology because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mercy Heights was this like spin-off series that had essentially that connected the Dave Gibbons 1990 reboot of Rogue Trooper to the original Rogue Trooper wow right and so part of me is like I, I have to read this. Right. That's super interesting to me as a crazy fucking nerd. Right, right. Yeah, no, you know? exactly. But exactly. I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I want to buy the four issues of the magazine that I would come with it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's really weird. Because <laughs> even then, it's going to be like $3 an issue or something. It's not going to be that bad. Yeah, it's really not. I mean, I'm like, sort of... Yeah. yeah. Anyway. I, don't, I don't know. So, yes. Anyway, so I hey. wanted to mention that. Yes. Jeff. You smell of crime, Jeff. <laughs> yes, Graham. What am I? I think you're the deodorant. Thank you very much. Thank you for that compliment. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking Zombo, which, as I reread it last night, I realized maybe the single most quotable thing that has ever appeared in 2018. I have to say, this second trade of Zombo, I read the first trade of Zombo, which I quite liked, and it, um and was super clever, super sharp, and had a lot of the sort of 2000 AD sort of dark humor that originally unsettled me when I was much younger and I've come to appreciate now that I am older. Uh, I know somebody who picked it up who I remember saying 
they thought it was good, but they also thought that maybe some of the satirical targets hadn't aged as well in that first Zombo collection. And I'm really glad that I had that sort of conversation with them before I picked up the second trade, because it was a little bit of a temperate with some caution, a little bit of hindsight, a little bit of lowered expectations, so that I picked up the second Zombo trade, and it more or less kicked me entirely right through those, you know, <laughs> boundaries and borders that I put up. I think that I think the second Zombo trade, not only is it better than the first, but it oh, is considerably better than the first. It is it is it is brutally entertaining. It is it is it is entertaining entertainment brutality where the number of jokes or laughs or ideas per page is is cranked up at an almost lethal level. You know, it is it really is, fucking great. It is great. amazing how fucking fast it moves through the story, especially the second story, especially Planet Zombo, which just rips through the fucking story. Yeah. It's astounding when you read Planet Zombo in a one Yeah. Not in the, the, the six-page installments of 2018, but when you read it all at once, you realize just how fucking fast that story moves and everything that they do in that story is amazing yeah it is it, it, it's really it's just so fast and there's just like even when we're doing exposition we're doing exposition by giving you parodies of the Fantastic Four yes that are at once loving and brutal mm-hmm, mm-hmm. absolutely it really is it, yeah. it's and then what they do to them when they're done with the exposition yes is not only is the punchline to the joke mm-hmm and you know, really, especially if for some reason, the Invisible Woman punchline is really funny, but the most disturbing, even more disturbing than what they do with Mister Fantastic. Oh, like, that's also is, pretty disturbing. You know, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. I find something far more disturbing about what they do with with. <laughs> is she is she actually called Susan? Is she called Sarah? I maybe? think I think she's called Sue. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but I don't know. I find that so much more disturbing for some reason. Uh, but also so much funnier. Yes. Because it it's yeah it's just but yeah it's Planet Zombo is so fast and merciless it's kind of breathtaking well, the, when you read it all in a wonder. The thing that's interesting to me is is that Planet Zombo because I read the first trade and then I missed this second or third storyline the fir- the the Ambaz uh, Abmaz the reverse Zombo storyline. I only read like the first chapter of that because it was in a free prog or something like that. Didn't read the rest of the story. The amount of stuff that it sets up that pays off in Planet Zombo. So there was actually yeah. rereading it this time, having read reading the entire trade all at a go, and therefore getting the payoffs that are set up in Planet Zombo that that didn't land for me the first time around you know other yeah. than oh this is it's sort of like oh this is a little bit of colorful eccentric humor not like oh my god this is something that he's paying off from something that started you know 15 installments ago you know yeah um, exactly it really and, and it's it's small stuff that you don't necessarily realize like it took me until last night reading the two back to back to realize that when do you think it's okay to spoil here or not a uh, story. I, or I kind of, lines? I kind of don't want to. Story. Mm, yeah, maybe. I mean, punchlines out. I kind of don't want to. Mm-hmm. There is something that happens in Planet Zombo mm-hmm. that is simultaneously a punchline to a joke that has been set up three series back. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and enough of a plot point for that particular story mm-hmm. that if you haven't read the previous series, you're like, oh my god, that has happened. Right. But if you've been reading all along, mm-hmm. you're like, ha ha, it's that, it's that running joke again. Oh, holy shit, it's not. Right, right. Actually, you know? we'll have to go offline because I'm like, yes, I have no idea what you're talking about. So all I know is that, for example, the line about eggs that I that seemed like just a little throwaway yes. was beautiful this time in the full context of of the. And also, trade. did you? Did you uh, and by the time you get to the bonus story about how Zombo's powers work and the egg thing is just taking even further. Yeah, it's just like holy shit. Yes. Well. Yeah, it's, it's, and, and that that delightful free comic book day story about uh, oh, Planetronics, Planetronics. Oh, lines, which probably wouldn't have made any sense to you before, but now you're like, oh, it's the Voltron joke. Yeah. No, I got the Voltron joke. I just didn't realize that Planetronics had appeared in the the Obmas thing for like four panels for and like was hilarious. Pages, yeah, yeah exactly, it's just, yeah. and it's great. So the fact that they bring them back in and of itself is hilarious, and then everything that he goes on to do with them is astonishingly good. So it's actually worth worth saying that you said that this is a far better collection than this, the first collection, which is totally true. I think what's noticeable when you read all four series close together mm-hmm. is that Zombo just makes incredible leaps in quality between series. Yeah, the second series is far better than the first. The third series is far better than the second, and the fourth is just amazingly better than the third. Mm-hmm. And you know, all of the all of these comics are really good. Yes. But every single time it goes away, it comes back and it comes back weirder, faster, and funnier. Yeah. Every single time. Yeah, every single time. And there's even little bits, like uh, at one point, I, I want to say, although I could be wrong, toward the end of the third installment, and maybe maybe he'll make this payoff by having the... Um, ha- Unless this was the payoff that you were talking about, by having by having the 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 pipe smoking pre- preacher chaplain start talking, he starts talking a little bit like Jack Kirby at the end of the third installment, um, mm-hmm. which really sets the groundwork for when the president starts talking in perfect Jack Kirby ease through Planet Zombo, yeah. which is even even better the second time around somehow which i it, just it, it is just a wonderful beauty because the president really only starts talking in kirby ease and like the last two pages of the third series which is the first story of the second collection and then you're like oh that's funny he's like he's doing kirby and then by the time he returns for planet zombo for the next story he's just become a kirby character yeah. in so many ways like yes. not just the dialogue although the dialogue is amazingly pitch-perfect Kirby parody. I mean, stunningly pitch-perfect Kirby parody. But also the idea of, essentially, he is the president who has died and become a digital self and has transcended death to a new form of life is a weirdly Kirby concept in and of itself. And then when he has the the battle with Mm -hmm. the villain in the the virtual thumb war, which, the virtual thumb war as well... I don't know why that one, two, three, four. I declared some more. Couple of panels. I find ridiculously funny. It's all uh, funny. Yeah, all that stuff is brilliant. But but, but yes, but all exactly. Weirdly Kirby esque as well. Yeah. Like even beyond the Kirby dialogue, it's like a Kirby concept. It is a Kirby concept because when the president becomes a digital, because it's like it was like what you were saying about Machine Man almost as a joke. You know, it's like when the president becomes a digital man, he actually becomes a better person. 
you know yeah he actually becomes also, this Kirby icon that actually does have things to say that are incredibly profound profound and moving even while being spoken in this absolutely ridiculous way you know I, yeah and part of it is also that no one recognizes the the profound or moving element of it because it is spoken in such a ridiculous way right right like it manages to operate on two different levels where you actually get the idea that maybe the present has evolved mm-hmm. past humanity Mm-hmm. but that no humans recognize it because they're like, he's talking fucking gibberish. Right. Which, which you then flip back on its way, is pretty much exactly the way the comic fans reacted to Kirby when he started writing his own material. Pretty beautiful. Yeah. Pretty brilliant. I mean, here's the thing. Who knows how much we are like going down the rabbit hole here? Yes. Now Ewing is listening to us being like, I didn't intend any of that. You guys are fucking <laughs> uh, But like... Even so, even if even if you're not into that element of reading things into Zombo, and by the way, I feel you can read almost anything into Zombo. I feel you can read Zombo as deeply or as shallowly as you want, and there's something to offer. Yeah, uh, the the shallow elements of it are also spectacular. Mm-hmm. Doing jokes about the president has sent a mole in to get to Zombo, and then the next panel is the character going, "Hey, buddy, Aaron Mole, pleased to meet you." <laughs> That's a great stupid joke. That's yeah. a spectacularly wonderful joke. Yeah. Um, the, Donald Trump as a president telling everyone they're fired. I don't know why I find that so funny because it's such a an old joke. But he's like they commit to it so much that yes. I am pissing myself by the third page. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because 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 Ewing really does. He takes it and he he really hyper accelerates it i think you know it it becomes so dense it's not just a kind of like you said he commits to it so much that that joke gets used like six times in the first page you know with every single permutation you think and then on the next page it goes farther i mean it really is um it's it is it is a really really hard working you know, piece of work, you know, like yeah. all of it is, is like, it appears easy and effortless, but when you look at how far it goes beyond where you think it's going to go, it really is extraordinarily, I mean, and that's, that's something that I sort of generally enjoy about 2000 AD at its best anyway, is it takes the time to like, it not only commits to the dumb thing or commits to the dark thing but then tries to push it a little farther than even you would expect and so I feel in a way that that Zombo really is so it's it it's it's like it's like 2000 AD crack you know what I mean it's like mm-hmm. it's 2000 AD squared you know in that sense yeah it is it is in a weird way you know you, if someone was like what is 2000 AD it's this and it's dread do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, these are the two books I would give someone and be like, okay, if you like this, mm-hmm. you'll like 2080. Right. If you don't get this, then you just shouldn't go near 2080. Right, right, exactly. So, although, uh, frankly, there's, you know, it is, it is, how do I put it? There's, it, yeah, Ewing really does take it to the next level. So I think it can be a little harder to find stuff that, that works as well as this because it's exceptionally good. But at least yeah, you get that sense of if you like this, then yeah, you are generally going to like 2000 AD because it has... That. I mean, I, I think this is definitely the best stuff that's appeared in 2000 AD in years. Mm-hmm. It's 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 up there. These, these two series in particular are up there with the best stuff that's ever appeared in 2000 AD. 
Interesting. It's, I it's ridic- for, it. for me, it's ridiculously... I mean, it's it has all of the elements, mm-hmm. but also it's just so good at combining all of the elements. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel bad that we're... Comp- like we're talking about the writing so much because Henry Flint's art is great. Absolutely, absolutely. H- Henry Flint. Henry Flint brings a lot of the effortlessness to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think. I think this would be an entirely different series if it didn't have these particular visuals because he manages to be simultaneously hyper realistic and super cartoony. Yes. Yeah. I think so. I, I think that's. I think that's a great way to put it, um, and and especially so by the time Planet Zombo goes. I mean, it is considering you've got things like the Living Planet, you've got the Fantastic Four, you've got a Fantastic Four analog, you've got a Nick Fury analog. Um, it's amazing that it does not that it. What's great is is that it does not feel like a big old Jack Kirby pastiche. Um, in that sense, and does does Flint do his own coloring on this? Because if he does, I think he does. I think he does. Because there's only at each prog, there's really only uh, credits for the script, the art, and the lettering. And the other thing is, is that the the coloring is tremendous. It's part of taken with the art together. It really helps give the work a a real brutish vitality. You know what I mean? Like it's it is it's it's really it helps give it so much energy. And I mean, I think the art does as well, but I can also see like on its own, but joined with the colors because he's working in tandem, he always manages to get the effect that he wants, which is terrific. Mm-hmm. Um I I mean, there's definitely some color effects that are integral to the art, like the death shadow. Yes, exactly. In fact, it is a particularly good use of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, even things like Zombo, the color of Zombo in a weird way mm-hmm. really helps sell it. Mm-hmm. When he comes back in the in Planet Zombo and he is essentially, you know, mind controlled and evil Zombo, mm-hmm. the fact that he is no longer green, the fact that he is gray, yeah, he's like sells way that colored. to you on mm-hmm. some level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's it, it's. It's yes. I the visuals are great. It is one of the best looking comics mm-hmm. that of the year. It 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 it's really really good. I love the fact that Flint's work, especially here, but also when he does Dread, mm-hmm. simultaneously calls back to a lot of classic two thousand eighty artists. Right. But seems very uh, contemporary and also seems very personal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, you see Flint as himself, mm-hmm. but you can also look at it and you're like, "Oh, look, there's Mike McMahon, there's Cam Kennedy, you know, there's Bisley, there's a shit ton of Bisley for me." Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, and interestingly I, enough, for me, I want to point out and take the extrapolation of that, which is reading the first, particularly the first volume, but it, also the second volume, and part of it for me seems weirdly tied to the colors as much as the art. But there's a lot of, for people who, all of our talk of 2000 AD kind of sails over their heads because they have not read it before. If you read a lot of the weirder Vertigo stuff in the early to mid-90s, Flint's art is going to feel very, very comfortable to you. There's a lot of times when reading it, I was thinking of... uh, uh, Richard Case on Doom Patrol, you know, or... um, uh, 
Duncan Fergredo on the Enigma, especially for some reason, you know, and a lot of those guys, you know, unsurprisingly, because there was so much of early Vertigo that was powered from people that were being poached from 2000 AD. But it's really a similar aesthetic. Deadline as well. I think there's a lot of Philip Bond in Henry Lynn's art, especially as women. For some reason, I get a lot of Philip Bond in uh, The Doctor. I don't mm. know why mm-hmm. I get a lot of Philip Bond in the Doctor. Um, yeah, I, I think there, it's just Zombo's really good. Everyone. Yeah. Jeff and I have said this in the past a lot, but now that this collection's out, I mean, this it really does just sort of ram it down your throat. How incredibly good this comic is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's and a stunner. Sketches at the back. Holy shit. That's the, 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 yeah. the page of Beatles sketches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was a really great... And, of course, it's great because it's just wonderful seeing how well they grow things organically because it really... They do such a brilliant job creating their folk Beatles band in there. Um, And so seeing how well they... You know, it's interesting that they have such a... He's got such a strong visual take on the Beatles themselves, you know? And I think, for me, as an innately lazy person, I'd be like, okay, well, just go with that the fact that they then basically turn them into these strange blue bullet headed torpedo beasts yeah, it, it, you know it's kind of amazing you look at the the scarabs in mm-hmm. this who are the, the beatles analogs and they are flint's version of the beatles mixed with like a really brendan mccarthy influence super but the mccarthy that lifts everything from yellow submarine so it's like weirdly meta yeah it's like flint's doing mccarthy doing yellow submarine Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As the Beatles. Yeah. You know, it's and it, really it, that, great. that is just great. Um, also, I I guess we should say, um, anyone who has never read Zombo's never read 2008, but considers themselves a Beatles fan and likes comedy, you should pick up this book just for the Scarabs, which is, like, short of the Ruttles, the greatest Beatles parody ever. And far more savage than the Ruttles. Well, see, that's my thing, is I've got a friend who's a Beatles fan, and rereading it, I was like, oh my god, I really have to give this to him. But then I turned the page, like, literally in the middle of their um, Yellow Submarine song parody, I was like, I can't. I can't. I can't give this to my... I can't. This is just so... Really? It is. It's... Well, because it's it really has him... It's, it's savage. It's too savage. I was like, I just don't think that, you know... Like, you have pieces... People's faces that's being pulled if, off, if so... If you... If you I, oh, that wasn't what I was meaning by being savage. It was the um, John Lennon as oh complete psychopath. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is hilarious, but also, like, if you idealize the Beatles, you might be a bit upset by that. But, you know, if you are aware of the Beatles' shortcomings, it is hilariously on point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. No, no, it's really, really funny. Um, Yeah, I was going to make an absolutely trite comparison that I decided not to. um, No, do it! Do it! Okay, you have probably already saw this, but have you seen... Uh, Jimmy Fallon as Jim Morrison of The Doors doing the Reading yes. Rainbow theme song. Oh my yes. god, I just saw that for the first time this week, and I was like, that is maybe the most brilliant Doors parody I have ever it, seen. Yeah, it is. 
an astoundingly good parody, isn't it? It really is. And so in the same way in which, because like reading the comments and people were like, as a Doors fan, I have to say, this was like flawless. Like the number of little like in-jokes and things that they got just right to please people. I sort of felt that way about the Scarabs, is the little bits and pieces that I know would satisfy my friend, who unfortunately is not a fan of gratuitous bloodshed and brutality. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that, yeah, then he'd really have trouble with what he'd happens. He'd really have trouble with really it. Yeah, exactly. Trouble. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I... Re- <laughs> I really did. It uh so listeners, yes, we cannot say enough good things about Zombo. Try and get it cuz if you're the people who listen to us in the US and there are a lot of people who do, it may be hard to get a hold of it for reorders and what have you through Diamond. So get to it while your store can either have it in stock or get it in stock. And hopefully maybe you can score big and and hit hit for the first volume too cuz I really feel what, what? both volumes all together make for an crazily satisfying package in that sense. Yeah, and, and it's also going to be really weird to read the first volume after hearing us being like, yeah, so the first volume is good, but the second volume is amazing. Right. I can imagine people reading being like, huh, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know how they're going to get to like the Beatles or Jack Kirby in this. And then you'll be like, oh, I see. It doesn't actually make any sense, but it makes complete sense. Well, I have to say, I, f- I thought the reverse Zombo stuff was really kind of the the way in which it it sort of takes flight, and I think it sort of hits supersonic speed with Planet Zombo, but I was amazed at how strong and hilarious the reverse Zombo was. And again, I, I think as yes. soon as he gets it to Earth, I mm-hmm. think as soon as he gets away from the more heavily science fiction elements of the first two series, of the stuff that's in the first collection, mm-hmm. I think it really, really takes off. Well, see, now this is the interesting element, because to me, when you say it gets away from the heavy science fiction elements, don't you feel that the oh, no. <laughs> second volume is arguably more about comics? You know what I mean? Uh... I don't know. On some level, yes. Mm-hmm. But I also see a lot more obvious social satire in the second volume than I yes. did in the first. Uh-huh. I think the first is more of a comedy, mm-hmm. a science fiction comedy. Mm-hmm. And I feel that with the second collection, it becomes much more of a pop culture satire with science fiction overtones. Interesting. And I think as part of that, and I think because of the medium, mm-hmm. like I think it's self-referential towards the medium that it's in. Right. But I don't think it's necessarily about comics. I think that it is free to make comics jokes because it's be- it's a comic and it's being read by comic readers right. who will get the jokes. But I don't think it's about comics. I don't know if it's about comics or not. I'm actually kind of wondering, you know, because of the because of the strong I guess because the Scarab story, the Planet Zombo storyline has so much Kirby in it and then the the third issue the the reverse zombo stuff is so is such a weird parody of you know the the obvious target appears to be frank miller books but it really is with the reverse bizarro essentially taking a um you know basically making fun of a, of the grim and grittyfication, I suppose, of something that, in the case of Zombo, is already kind of weirdly dark and violent anyway, so it just, like, flies, like, 
right off the rails. You know what I mean? I thought that, that was really interesting. What I kind of love about it is that Zombo as a strip is is very dark. I think even from the start. Yes, it's, it's very funny, but it's a very dark humor. Oh, very much from um, the start. And the, but then you bring in Obmos, mm-hmm. and he is dark in the grim and gritty sense. Like I, I. I could not swear to this, but there are times where I feel like his dialogue may have been lifted directly from The Dark Knight. Oh, yeah. There's pieces that are super, super close. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, so taking that character, the hyper-suspicious urban vigilante character, to the extremes that he does. Yes. It's so dissonant with everything that's come before mm-hmm. that I feel that it just widens the entire thing. To yeah. such an extent, you're like, "Oh, it can do this as well," and because it does that, and then because it isn't just like we can do this, it's like not only can we do this, we're going to play off the fact that these two things do not go together, mm-hmm. and we're going to force that in your face. We're really going to make you sh- see these things don't go together, and we're going to have them collide, and then see what happens as an aftermath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that just widens the possibility of the entire series. Yes. Yeah, I you, think so you too. Really get, uh, you know, what the fuck is this mm-hmm. element? Mm-hmm. Oh. Because it's like Zombo, the character doesn't want to play with everything else that's going on. Right. And so you're re- you're really left with this strange moment of it's almost like the series is being hijacked, or rather, the this, this series lead character is reacting to the hijacking of the series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that just spins it off in an entirely new direction. Yeah, there is something that is very interesting about the, like you said, I mean, hijacking is the perfect way to put it, because not only does the character get hijacked, but there is essentially sort of weird hijackings within hijackings, I suppose, as Zombo. You know, who is Zombo is, and of course the thing that's, to me the part that I loved is not only is there the Dark Knight effect um, in in which... Ewing does pitch perfect uh, Frank Miller dialogue during uh, the reverse Zombo stage. But at one point, when Zombo's uh, personality gets destroyed and his backup brain comes in and it becomes pitch perfect Steve Gerber slash Len Wein Swamp Thing Man Thing captions, like just. Oh, the captions. I was. I was reading the captions out loud to Kate last night. And she was like, "What are you reading?" Because <laughs> it was all the part where it's like, "If that skull could blink, it would blink an in international Morse code." <laughs> dot dash dash dot dash dot yeah, dot exactly. dash. Yeah, unbelievably yeah, she great. Was just like, what are you reading to me right now? But it's, <laughs> that stuff is is just wonderful because yeah. again, it's so dissonant with what is happening elsewhere. It's yeah. Reverse the reverse Zombo arc is what it's actually called. Obmos. What is that? I I think it might be called the reverse Zombo. But let me see. Oh, it's called the day the Zombo died, which is really funny. Um, Uh, But like that's everything about it's so weird because you essentially have the mayor who is Donald Trump. uh, Sorry, the president who is Donald Trump. Yes. uh, Introducing the crime deterrent, which is totally lifted off of Robocop. Yes. Like. And so you've got this Robocop mashed with The Dark Knight Returns, mashed with, you know, Gerber's 1970s absolute complete fucking lunacy. And then literally, they all collide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, it co- and it comes out as Kirby in the strangest <laughs> way. It's this 
<laughs> it's this crazy, crazy thing. And you know, Eric, the 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 stripper, mm-hmm. who is Zombo's backup personality. What? Like all of like all of that is just nuts. Like that's Gerber, but also weirdly not Gerber. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There, yeah, there's no, something, no, no, very there, there's something very Gerber about it. Absolutely. In fact, I was going to say stuff. we should underline that for people who recently enjoyed like the Phantom Zone stuff and are Gerber fans. Pick up this second Zombo collection, probably the first one, but especially in the second one, I feel that Steve Gerber is like the the. It's such a hop, skip, and a jump away, if not directly related to it. It's extraordinarily good. Because, yeah, he does. He gets a backup personality that A, makes no sense. B, is tortured to in, in a way that is, you know, kind of that faux Stanley bathos. But then the way they exploit it, so Gerberish. It really is. It's, it's really great. So who else can we compare this comic to? That I know, no Zombo kidding, right? Kirby. Yeah, there's got to be someone Gerber. else. Like, hmm, let's see, Kirby and Gerber. So like, I w- I where's the Steve Engelhardt like in here? Bible. <laughs> you know, it's like the I, Bible I, I, and I, I, Steve Engelhardt yeah, and um, uh, who's that guy? God, who is that guy? Um, fuck, there goes that joke. Uh, I was gonna pick the now EC I want, artist. Now I want to know who the guy is. <laughs> Bernie Kriegstein, um, which sadly came out of my mind as Bernie Kierkegaard, which actually sounds more like (laughs) an Al Ewing character, actually. Bernie Kierkegaard was was spectacular, but he... I was going to say EW stories. His (laughs) stories were the best. (laughs) Welcome to the parallel universe that we're slowly being dragged into. Excessive praise of Zombo is allowed the space-time continuum to collapse them around us. Writing for Entertainment Weekly? That would make the greatest (laughs) magazine ever. That would be great. Fear and loathing watch. He goes watch. on set. Yeah, exactly. He goes on set of the monuments, man. And on the last page, George Clooney cuts off Matt Damon's head with an axe. The end. <laughs> oh, man. I, I said that. and Like, it's not even Greg's team, but I honestly was like, and Ellen DeGeneres is the Crypt Keeper. I have no idea where that came from. Oh, my God. People, people, anyone listening from Entertainment Weekly, let Graham write the EC Comics slash Daytime TV T Watch. Yeah, yeah the ECEW. Yeah, exactly. And it's got wings, people. Uh, uh, I, I've said it before now I will say it again because we're talking about Zombo I think that if you find Jeff and I amusing you cannot fail to find Zombie wonder, uh, Zombo wonderful yeah yeah. I think, that's I, I think it is so safe. weirdly in tune with not only our sense of humor but our fucking references yeah yeah that I, I, I feel that yeah Zombo is, is the closest we will ever come to the perfect wait what comic. It is, it, I think that's probably true. Also, and for those people who find us tiresome and tedious, you will also find the Zombo c- comic terrific, because I feel like it is ridiculously yeah, it, it brief. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's much funnier and sharper than we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a much shorter period of time, which should surprise nobody, I guess. So, uh, so yeah, basically what we're saying is, this is the if you buy one comic this year... Yeah. You you actually should buy some books. Definitely, definitely. And if you if you buy two, I don't know if you should buy Battling Boy, but you should definitely side with me on my complaints about it. So um. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, everyone. 
The year's over. It's only October. We're done. That's right. We're just going to close. You know, I have to say, I was wondering, do you think you'll make a top 10 best of list this year? I don't know, Jeff. It's October. Yeah, but I, no, no, I know. But let's start planning early. So here's the thing. I think last oh time <laughs> I was able to put together a very brief list just mentioning stuff that we spoke well of. Like I basically combed through all of our podcast show notes and, and maybe the tags and made a quick list of stuff that I thought was tremendous. And I was thinking I would probably do that again this year, even though I'm not sure. I like making those kinds of lists, I guess, even if I don't necessarily like putting the time into them. You know, what so. I look forward to is that you doing that and then realizing that like five of your books are Marvel books and being like, I am completely fucking torn. I've been boycotting them all year, yet somehow five of my top ten books of the year are Marvel books? <laughs> what the fuck is that all about? You know, we'll have to see. If I go back and that really ends up being the case, then so be it. I don't think that's going to happen, though. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but... There's been a lot of really great alternative stuff. It also helps that my I thought you were going to say was that my you know most of my books of the year were actually books that are 20 years old. That I can see happening considering how much I you know have enjoyed and actually sort of missed now that it's you know I've got to get back to them. The Apocalypse Meow slash Cat Shit one and um, and that first Rogue Trooper volume which I just adored. I mean those things are. Very old by this point, but really time amazing. To get that, time to get that second one, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Mm. At some point, it's going to get to the terrible, terrible stuff, and you'll be like, I've just realized I don't like Rogue Trooper anymore. <laughs> well, you know, I have to say there was another element of, God, what was I looking at? Sort of the same way that i become convinced that, you know, I went through this thing of reading Rogue Trooper and being like, oh my god, this would be an amazing TV show. Oh, you know, Secret Society of Supervillains was that weird thing where it's like when the first original setup of the Secret Society, where it's like the Secret Society is brewing and it's being organized by... The guy who's basically organizing it is the mole who's trying to undermine it at every turn. Like, I'm like, that's, yeah. that's a really good, strong, solid, high concept that they end up doing almost nothing that they throw away almost by issue no, they, 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 yeah they, they really do and wait till you get to the second collection Jeff I believe it all I'm going to say is Captain Captain Comet's war against the secret society that's that's great <laughs> yeah no I believe it like even then when it was like god bless Bob Rosakis when it was like Captain Comet's war against the secret society and it's three issues before he goes back to their headquarters and he's like they've been here all along god damn it you know I thought that was like the like oh Captain Comet you goon you know he's yeah, just not he's very not bright it's not the- is not the greatest superhero because he repeatedly like, I've got to take down this army of superheroes I'm a member of the Justice League now but I should do this solo and you're like why? why? Hawkman is literally hanging out with you with nothing to do what the fuck are, why are you telling him to stay here? seriously I know it's really ridiculous I mean it's like and, and I think that was back in the 70s when you didn't have to you know clear appearances you know just have them in there then have them get sidelined by something and then have Captain Comet save them and look heroic you know as opposed to what they end up doing where it's just like nah, I don't know the, the, uh, the dinosaur issue that is absolutely spectacular. Yes. Uh, features dinosaurs magically appearing on Earth. Hawkman is on monitor duty and hanging out with Captain Comet, and he's like, oh shit, I've got to take care of this. Captain Comet, you stay on monitor duty. Captain Comet sees another dinosaur and goes down to like save the day. The end of the issue is, I swear to God, Hawkman being like, wait, 
You're on monitor duty. Shooting the monitor? What? You, what? I told you to stay here. And Captain Cobb is just like, I stayed right here. Wink. It is. It is hilarious like that. It's, it's the part where you remember all of the Justice League rules and regulations were the greatest completely bad shit thing. Well, it's true. Yeah, because it, it is that idea of like, what if? Like, what if you're sitting there and you're on monitor duty and like there is like Japan sinking into the sea and you're like, ah, and you like, you know, you hit the speaker things for the other GLA guys and they don't respond. You're like, ah. You know, you just sit there. I'm just gonna stay here. I well, exactly. Also, the um, and I will do this really quickly because we we really just stopped. It's been a couple of hours. Um, the Justice League issue, that uh, Justice League Annual Two, when Aquaman splits up the team and it's the start of Justice League Detroit. Just uh, Aquaman and Justice League appear for the UN, and Aquaman's like, "Fuck it, I'm breaking up the team," and everyone else is like, "We don't want to be broken up." And Satana goes, <laughs> "It's one of the bylaws." If the founders want to break the team up, we have to be broken up. <laughs> it's nuts! <laughs> it's incredible. That no point no one like that makes absolutely no Why sense. would that even make sense? <laughs> like tell me, how does that make sense? I mean, I love the idea that maybe cuz with the Justice League I can almost see that being a sort of weirdo can't you see the Silver Age story where that, you know, where they have to break up the Justice League and they have to write that into the bylaws and you know what I mean? It's just I don't know. The Justice League is great because it is clearly it's the idea of a civic organization is written by people who've never belonged to any civic organization ever. <laughs> so they're like, like you should read up on these bylaws yeah, before right. you join the team. We like, we have a ring binder full of laws that you should read up you on. You gotta go and memorize those. Over, yeah, take it home. Look over it tonight. We'll give you a we'll give you a couple of pointers tomorrow. We'll get your key card so you can get it to the teleporter. You'll be fine. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, I mean, but this almost makes sense in a way, don't you think? Like, because. This is DC. This is DC back in the days where they're like, "Okay, you're an awesome artist. How many how many points are on the bottom of Batman's cape? Uh, eight. Wrong. Six. Get out. Goodbye, Jack Kirby. Good day to you, sir. You know what I mean? Like that's exactly. the thing. Like you can totally see that reflected in the insane Byzantine rules in both the Legion and the Justice League, where it's like, "Oh no, I am totally sorry. You've." You know, the bylaw that says that you always have to sit on Lightning Lad's left, that you've broken, means you're expelled from the League, and as a result, this planet is going to hurl into the sun. Like, on the one hand, that seems crazy, unless you've worked at DC, in which case you're like, that's the way the world works. That's the way the world works. Yeah, cut to Starboy going, choke. I should have remembered sitting in the chair with a star painted on the back. Choke. Choke. Isn't that great, though? I do have to say that that is, again, one of the miracles of DC's Silver Age stuff, is when you're a kid, you're just obsessed with rules. You know what I mean? And, like... Oh, yeah, and it's great that, you know, all of your secret organized... secret uh, superhero societies have these rules and bylaws, and you're like, they're so fucking organized. Yeah, it's awesome. It's totally awesome. You learn to love that stuff. You're like, oh my god. I mean, that really was a thing. Like, I remember growing up, and even though you did not have the internet, there were enough people who cared that the Legion voted on their leadership every year that it was... It was it was a, yeah, thing. It was a thing. It was really a thing, you know? And I'm just like... 
God bless you. Can't, you just can't really get away with that now. You know, you just yeah. I, I I I'd say I really do miss the annual Legion leadership contest. Right. That that was the greatest. Mo- like I wish I had been a fan at that point. Do you right. know what I mean? Because I didn't really get into Legion until after that. I wish I could have written in and be like, no. Fucking polar boy. Polar boy, polar exactly. What years they were pulling for. Now we just have the annual Legion reboot, which is just not the same. You know what I mean? It's yeah. That's don't 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 rub it in. <laughs> I thought you would laugh, and Graham just made the saddest face. No, everybody, I, I it's just yeah. Even with poor Paul Levitz going, it's okay. It's Earth Two. The Earth One Legion's still out there in his final issue. Uh, it's just sad. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, oh, well. On that on that note, which is Graham being sad. On, uh, on yes, on that tragic me crying uh, <laughs> for the fate of the Legion superheroes note. Hey, everyone! Justice Legion's coming out soon. Maybe, except it's not. It was postponed, wasn't it? Oh, God knows. Justice Legion might exist at some point in the future. I forget. Is that the like the Giffen the one Fleming yeah. McGuire thing that McGuire got shit canned from, or uh, it was Giffen Tomatius from McGuire, and Thank then you. McGuire got shit canned, and then it turned into Giffen Tomatius Howard Porter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jeff just made a crying face. I think that's an appropriate response. Um, yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah, there you go. Well, what can be done other than crying? Uh, yeah, we we'll, we will leave you with that, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Are we back next week, Jeff? Are we doing another one next week? Yes, next week. Is, we are. Ne- yeah. We're doing one. Next we're doing week, next week, and then we will take the next week, which is my birthday off. I believe is a skip week. So, um, join us back here for what will be October twenty fourth is when we record, and it'll go up just a few days before my birthday. And then we're off for my birthday, which is Halloween. So. So what Jeff is saying, if you want to get him some presents, his Amazon wish list is probably searchable. Right? It is searchable. It is searchable now. And yeah. I need to throw some better stuff on there. Cause, uh, there you go. So yeah, everyone, Jeff wants presents. And, you know, by presents, I mean if you wish to purchase a copy of Airport Books Erotic <laughs> Vampire Bank Heist by E.J. Ellers and or gift that to someone you know and love, I will happily accept that in the form of presence. Somebody's going to, like, record this, send this to Amazon, and I'm going to end up being banned from their store now. I can just see it, but... Uh, what? Why? No. I don't know. I think there's some sort of rule against it. Believe me, the rules about, like, shilling and trying to rig your sales status, and why should I bother, since Erotic Vampire Bank Heist is the 13th best-selling heist book in the Amazon store right now, if only it had been up the other day when it was nine. But still, 13. I'm pretty pleased. So, um, yeah. So basically what I'm saying is, tune in next time. You'll only hear a little bit of that, and then you won't hear me be a jackass at all um, after my birthday. So that's what I'm saying. Or will you? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, if that is the cliffhanger for next week, bye! <laughs> Well done. You know a cliffhanger when you see one, sir. 